Hey, it's Ian Altman. Most of you know that I deliver full-day immersion programs to companies on same-side selling, and investing tens of thousands of dollars may make sense if you've got a team of people, but for an individual, that's just too much of a, uh, a nut to cover. And so we offer same-side selling immersion programs, the full-day program, in various cities around the country during the year, and there's one upcoming on May 9th in Wilmington, Delaware. You can learn more at ianaltman.com. It's a small group. We always cap them at 40 people. So you're never going to have more than 40 people. Very individualized attention, and I hope to see you there. Hey, it's Ian Altman. Before I dive into this episode, I just want to thank you for taking the time to subscribe and share the show with other people. It makes a huge difference. In today's episode, I'm joined by Rob Jallis. Now, Rob's a guy who is a world-class speaker, um, he does a lot of sales training, and we're going to specifically talk about how to properly run seminars and workshops. We'll talk about the biggest mistakes that organizations make when it comes to corporate training and presenting. We'll talk about what you can do when you're presenting to audiences of three to five versus hundreds, and specifically the steps that you can take to make sure that you deliver amazing value and capture the attention of your audiences. Rob's a phenomenal speaker, and you're going to learn a ton from Rob Jollis. Rob Jollis, welcome to the show. Good to be here. What's something surprising that our audience may not know about you? All right, how about this? I was sitting on my couch in 1982 watching the fourth Ironman ever, called uh, ABC Wild World of Sports, and was in Hawaii a year later and ran in the fifth Ironman ever and completed the race. Wow. Well, you know, I get exhausted just watching someone do an Ironman. Yep, yep. Uh, actually, it, it sort of worked against me because it was kind of like stepping on the moon. What exactly do you do athletically after an Ironman? Uh, a little marathon? Yeah. <laughs> so it kind of got in my way, but uh, something I'm, I'm very proud of, but I don't talk about it. It's, it's hard to work it into a conversation, so yeah. thanks for giving me that. Uh, <laughs> well, I'm glad there was an opportunity to work it in today. So I know that you've got an amazing reputation for training organizations, helping them operate at their peak performance, and whether individuals are presenting externally to their customers and partners or whether they're presenting internally to try and develop their teams, what are the biggest challenges or mistakes that you see people make that you can help them overcome? Well, how about simply to be believed? And when I say that, I mean we, we – we when it's internal, we may have curriculum developers. We may have we may be bringing in a vendor with uh, a strong curriculum, and that's all well and good. They're the words, and they seem to be all lined up. But what about the tune? What about really getting people to believe in that message? And and which module is that that we uh, we go through? It's uh, I think sometimes we think that's instinctive. Um, I've often said that uh, you can take a bad curriculum, give it to a great speaker. And it'll sound wonderful. And you can take a great curriculum and give it to a bad speaker, and it just falls flat on its face. So the, the reason why I bring that up is because if we don't believe it, we're not going to implement whatever we're watching. And if we don't implement it, we're completely wasting our time. So what causes people to fall into that trap where they're sharing a message that either they don't believe or that the audience isn't believing? It's a great question. 
They uh, well, first of all, a lot of times on the bigger corporation, there there's a handoff between the curriculum developers and the actual trainers. It's kind of like when I sold for Xerox, you know, where the guys that sold the copiers and the guys that repaired them, and for some reason we weren't supposed to talk to each other. <laughs> but in fact, when we did, we made magic in a territory. It's the same in training. Why are we keeping our developers away from the trainers? A lot of times each is protecting their own territory, but the developers will get more of a delivery idea in terms of pacing, in terms of group activities, really bringing a curriculum alive. And those trainers, by speaking to the developers, will get a sense of the core message, the, the nice to know from the need to know. And uh, if they're working in tandem, we're much better off. By the way, one of the things that, that's going to resonate with my audience especially is this notion that oftentimes we have that same disconnect with product development and people selling or with the people who are actually executing or implementing versus the people who are selling it. So what happens is the salesperson goes out and sells something that the implementation people say, what are you, crazy? There's no way we could ever deliver that, and you're set up for failure right away. And so what are some of the things that organizations can do to better align that curriculum development and the training, short of just putting the people in the room together? Are there specific steps that they should take? Well, I'll tell you one step, speaker to speaker. I know you and I both have some terrific websites, and we've got some books, and we've got some tapes, and now what? Because there's a lot of people with a website, a book, and a tape. I really would hope that my clients realize that when it comes to training, particularly if you're going to take it off the shelf, if you're going to hire an Ian or a Rob, don't hire them because the website looks so good. Uh, hire them because you've committed to actually walking in the room and watching them do what they do. Because the funny thing about our business is when it's good, everybody knows it. And when it's not good, everybody knows it. Let's get away from the brochure. You know, I promise this guy's good. Just watch it. That's all you need. Yeah, it's interesting. With speakers, what I often, what I often tell people is, look, if someone gives you a highlight reel, that has a whole bunch of 15-second clips, what I can assure you is you've just seen the four best 15 seconds those people have. But if you watch somebody deliver 10 minutes from beginning to end of a story, a concept, and a takeaway, then you have a sense of, okay, this person can actually introduce a story, can deliver content, and give you actionable takeaways with it. Wow, I wonder if they could do more of that. Hopefully that's not their only story. I know that when I've sat in the audience when you speak, I'm captivated, and it's topics that I could argue, well, I know this stuff, but guess what? I'm interested because you're engaging from the moment you, you arrive, and not everyone has that ability. And My guess is part of the disconnect might be that the people who develop the training curriculum have an idea about what should be taught, and then either it's like, almost like playing telephone. They share the information with a trainer who didn't quite capture all of it. Now, the trainer, 0 to 10, might have skills at a 5 or a 6. And even if it was good content, they're not getting there. Yep. You know, it's funny. You, you talk about the tape. When I got started in the business, and maybe you too, we were forced to invest with a voiceover specialist and graphics. And we flew our books across the screen. And, and we took that 10 seconds here and 15 there. And, and then we had that impressive voice going, and Ian also does this. And it's interesting that none of the major speakers bureaus now will take a tape like that anymore. They want just what you said. Minimum of 10 minutes, usually more like 20, talking. They want to see 
what happens after that great soundbite, and can you hold an audience, and what's the audience look like? And uh, so I think the bureaus get it because they're the ones who are hiring out those speakers. I just wish the companies would get it too. Yeah. Well, and it's unfortunate because what will happen is, and I'm sure you see it too, where we speak at an event and they bring in professionals, and then they have Marty, and Marty is a guy who's you know a, it was a middle level manager, and Marty's had a ton of training in public speaking. In fact, he watched a tape for four minutes before he gets up on stage. And if the room zero to ten was at an energy level of an eight before Marty got there, after Marty delivers the best performance he can, the room is at a solid three. Yeah, poor Marty. Poor Marty. Uh, yes, it, it, Marty is a, it just kind of sucks the life out of the room. But, you know, let me jump to another topic that sucks the life out of the room that many people might not know about. Because I was just did an, uh, sent an email before I came here on the um, doing something for the, the county government. And they want that infamous Q&A at the end of the session. Now, we, it always looks good on paper, doesn't it, Ian? Yeah, we'll have a Q&A. The fact of the matter is when a real pro speaks, they bring that audience to such a fevered pitch that when there's a Q&A, if there are any questions, because a great speaker will almost leave a room speechless. But if there are, the, all the energy comes out, the microphone's dropped and botched, we can't hear that guy over there, and all of a sudden somebody wanders on the stage and says, thank you, Ian, and you go bumbling off. I will tell you that one of the things I write about, you know, sort of 35 ways, tips, tricks of the trade, one of them is, okay, Klein, if you want a Q&A, I'll give it to you. One, I always have questions to ask myself just in case that audience is speechless and there's that awkward pause. But two, I want to finish with my best story, my best trick, which means right before they hustle me off after that clunky little q and I'll always put my hand up and go, just one thing if I may. You know, two people are crossing a road, and I'm going to launch into a great story. Then I'm going to stick my landing. Then I'm walking off that stage. But I'm not getting ushered off after a fumbled Q&A. Yeah, the, the, two, the two things that, that I find that, that can work, one is you finish your talk, you kill it. Somebody comes up, gives a little bit of a recap, and then says, hey, can we bring Rob back out? And let's ask them a few questions. We have time, almost like it's a surprise. So it's, they're disjointed. So it's, it's, or disconnected. It's, here was this great thing. You landed it. You killed it. Now we do the Q and A, right? That I've seen work, but better is what you just described, which is that notion of, look, so if I've got, if I'm going to speak for an hour, including your 10 minute Q and A, guess what? I'm going to speak for 40 minutes. Then we're going to do the 10-minute Q&A. Then I'm going to finish with 10 minutes. So that way we can make sure we leave the audience with great actionable content, not what we leave the audience. What they're going to remember most was the last question that was asked, which was, so so how long have you been speaking for? (laughs) And that's something that may not be as impactful for the audience. Yeah, You know, I I heard this one time, and I, I really believe it's true. I think as presenters, as speakers, we, uh, we think more like a magician. And if you watch a magician, the magician usually starts with their second best trick. But they finish with their best trick. My best trick isn't being hustled off after a bumbled Q&A. My best trick is getting that one last story in. And the funny thing is, Ian, you know, it's not like we're going out there free. So to me, I always kind of want to whisper into the client's ear, you know, 60 minutes is 60 minutes. You're taking 10 minutes from me. Uh, why don't you let me just nail this thing for you? And then guess what? When I'm done, 
Everybody can come up and ask questions. They can ask questions as long as I'm there. Exactly. Until I get on that plane. Have at me. Exactly. And I'm sure you've had this as I have where a guy's asking me questions like, oh, that's great. You know, drop me a note. And then you get on the plane and I'm in 2A and he's in 2B. You're like, oh, there he is. Oh, can I ask you a few more questions? Well, for the next four hours, that'll be fantastic. By the way, it's harder than the presentation exactly. sitting in 2A. But I digress. <laughs> So now we, we're talking about this notion of what goes on with, with presenters and as speakers what happens. And for a lot of organizations, they don't even necessarily see themselves as speakers. But guess what? If they're presenting to a group of five potential partners, five potential clients, um, they might be presenting internally to a team of people they are trying to change their behavior. How do we translate the stuff that we learn on stage – to their business and their world. That's terrific because let's face it. Although I, you know, I write books on presenting. Um, I write books on selling. That's really my major audience. So I'm on this topic a lot. And the fact is that it's really natural these days, particularly when we're not selling a mom and pop, when it's a bigger company, that a part of that process is okay. Come in, and you will be talking in the conference room to a team of seven. Well, it's not like I'm delivering a training presentation per se, but I have to take the world of, of presenting and merge it with the world of selling. So a few of them are pretty easy. For instance, when we sell, don't we usually have a what's in it, what's in it for, the, for the client? We right should out, hope so. Yeah, right out of the gate, just in case you weren't thrilled about having this meeting or you forgot why I was coming. Well, we don't know who's in that little group of seven or 17 either. So I always like to throw a whiff them. I think it's a little bit more detailed, not just what's in it for you, but maybe how what I'm going to talk about is going to help you on the job and perhaps help the company you work for. Because when I'm looking at that group of seven, one of them is a decision maker. That's how it's going to help the company. A couple of them are decision influencers. It's going to help you on your job. And a few of them are just kind of... You're there. But, That's going to it's going to help you personally. By the way, and a couple of them are thinking to themselves. So if the company does this, I'm unemployed, right? I mean, that's that's what's going through their head. Is well, this thing. So they want me to evaluate how well this is going to do. Wait, my job. And so you, and you mentioned a term that I want to make sure people got, which is with them. What's in it for me? So it's that notion of for the audience and making sure that we're always thinking whatever I'm presenting, what's in it for me as the audience member, not what's in it for me as a presenter. So some people call it a whiffy, what's in it for you. You can use whichever term you want. If you're always thinking from the perspective of what is the recipient getting out of this, then that changes things. Do you see, do you see organizations missing that part entirely? Completely. Um, not only are they missing that, and quite frankly, why would you want to hear what I'm going to talk about and how I'm going to talk about it and why I'm the guy talking about it if you don't really think what I have to say is of any value to you? So that's why as salespeople, we learn early that we better get that taken care of before we launch into a product. Well, let's call the product the presentation. I better get this taken care of before I launch into that presentation. And I'll tell you one other thing that's unique about presenting. There's that with them, what's in it for the audience, but also, what do you expect out of that group? I don't think we address that very well. And the funny thing is, from a sales perspective, imagine, Ian, if I said to you, uh, and at the end of this presentation, you'll have enough data to make a sound decision 
as to um, the, the program that we're bringing in or really have a much clearer idea of the value. You know what I'm doing? In a sense, I'm psychologically saying, if you might drift off a little bit, keep asking yourself, am I getting that value? Do I see the benefits? So I'm actually kind of prepping them on what I may very well be asking them at the end. In a sale, we call that for the order. But in a presentation, maybe I'm just looking for their support or I'm looking for their acceptance. If I tell them that's what I'm looking for before I even launch, you understand how it makes a lot more sense to double back and close with that, like a poem. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. One of, the, one of the things that I'll do in, in a number of my sessions is when it's a smaller audience, and obviously this is harder to do when there's thousands of people, but in a smaller audience, let's say there's 50, 60 people. What I'll ask them is I'll say, what are the things that would make today's session really impactful for you? And you'd think, wow, this was really worth my time. And I'll, and I'll solicit and we'll draw that out of them. And then I say, look, I, I want you as an audience every time, you know, periodically through the talk, I'm going to circle back to this list and I want you to hold me accountable. And if we're not covering one of those things, I want you to point it out and say, hey, we haven't covered this point yet. And it's really important to me because at the end, if we've covered them all, then we all agree it's worth our time. Then I usually throw out, by the way, and for anybody who doesn't contribute anything to this list, this was a 10 out of 10 for you. Because <laughs> you had no expectations to begin with. It was phenomenal. Right. Uh, you know something, you hit on a couple interesting things. And one of them was, you know, the trainers, the, uh, you know, is this guy taking my job? Actually, in my, you know, I've been at this 25 years. I think that the, sometimes the toughest landmine that we have to navigate when we're coming in as consultants are those trainers. Uh, it's not the meeting planners. It's, it's not the decision makers. It's the trainers. And so why aren't we addressing that subtly up front? Because I always like to whisper in the ear, you know, I'm a guy who uh, doesn't hit the benefits package. You're just taking me off the shelf. I'm going to enhance, love that word, basically take what you have and just enhance it and hand it right back to you. But I, I, in, in some way, I do like to have a side conversation with a couple of the trainers because I was a trainer once. I was a trainer for CSC. I was a trainer for Xerox. And when the big, bad consultant came in from the outside, you better <laughs> believe my arms were folded. And I said, let's see what this guy has to offer. Uh, but when they talked to me and said, maybe I can help here and help you there uh, and sort of clear the air. It was much better handshake. Let's put it that way. Yeah, absolutely. Because now, but keep in mind, you're also adhering to your number one rule, which is you're making it clear to them what's in it for them. So you're walking in saying, "Here's how I'm going to work with you. Here's how I'm going to help you." One of the first things that that I'll do also is someone says, well, "What would you do for us?" And I'll say, "Well, I mean, you've had people and speaking to your audience. What's been working? What hasn't been working?" And then we get them talking about. It. I say, "Oh, okay. So if we can build on what you've already done." and enhance that portion of it so they get a better outcome, would that be okay? And I want to make sure I fully understand what you've already been teaching. And then the person says, oh, okay, so you're, just, you're not throwing out my stuff. Right. We're, just, we're just making it better. I think our politicians could learn from that too because we just piss people off and then we wonder why they're not on board. Right. So that's, that's a whole other element. So are there specific steps that people can follow that says, look, if you follow this roadmap, and, and I do want you to share – which books people are going to get the most out of because and I know that knowing you well enough, it's like you don't want to talk about them, but guess what? You create quality content. I want to make sure our audience knows, look, these are the books they should get for this type of content for these topics. And we'll include that in the show notes. So that way they've got links and so they can, they can get all the detail about them. 
Um, but what are the specific steps that people should follow if they want to have much better success um, inspiring others, whether it's their internal audience or externally? Okay. Um, and first of all, uh, thank you, because I, I don't like to crowbar books into a conversation, but I have a book that I wrote in 1993. It was the first book I ever wrote. It's fourth edition now, And it's right? coming out in its fourth edition. It just came out in its fourth edition. It's, it's being delivered uh, as of this past Sunday, yes, uh, day before yesterday. And that's my how to run seminars and workshops, because I trained all the Xerox trainers for uh, almost a decade. Uh, so that's near and dear, but... Great question because the reason why that book's on the shelf for almost 25 years is the book answers that question. I mean, I like to think I know a few other things, but at Xerox, you didn't tie your shoe without some kind of nutty process. But when you have a process, you have a way of measuring what you're doing. When you can measure it, you can fix it. So the process that we use is we used to call it a U-popper. Now, I shortened it to a U-pop because a lot of times I'm not working with corporate trainers. I'm working with an area VP who's just going to talk to a group. So I don't want to make you a trainer. I just want that 30 minutes to go real well. So let's talk about a U-pop and see if I can do this in 60 seconds or less. The U stands for utility. That's that with them. What's in it for the audience? Okay. The P stands for the product, meaning we know that adults learn better when they have a sense of the big picture. You do this naturally, but many people don't. In one sentence, one sentence, not two, what's the big picture of this presentation? At the end of the presentation, bang, that's the big picture. Now, so we got utility, we got product. Now we got process, another P. Process is what we learned in 11th grade. What are you going to talk about specifically? And maybe how are you going to talk about it, which I think we leave, we forget a little bit, meaning I'm going to involve you. There might be a role play, take notes. I have a handout. We'll have some visuals. Uh, This does sustain interest. And little things like that, if some people think the last guy had a handout, they're leaning back with their hands locked behind their head. At the end, the guy says, I hope you took good notes. So we want (laughs) to, then they take notes like crazy for the next guy, and he has a handout. So we little things like that shouldn't go unnoticed. But so we got a utility, utility. we got a product, we got a process. The O stands for objective, meaning what do you expect out of the audience when this is over? Great. Like, you know, and I mean that may be the toughest one to write in, but that one really imagine somebody put their hand up and had the courage to say, uh, well, "This is the third one we've been to today. What am I supposed to get out of this when you're done?" You're doing both of us a favor, so let's offer that. So U, P, P, O, and then we call it proof of ability. Uh, A lot of times, why are you the one speaking? A little bit about you and or, depends on the topic, has this worked somewhere else and seen some great results? We've worked with a company that does a lot like you do, and in less than a year, they saw a growth of blank. You see? Now I'm ready to go into the presentation. So let's talk about filling a glass of water or whatever we're going to. But when you do that up front, and I like to mess with audiences sometimes and say, hey, talk me out of one of those. Tell me which one we shouldn't say. And when you realize, well, I guess we should have them know what's expected and what's the big picture and what we're going to. Yeah. Why aren't we doing it? So I have templates in the book. And I think if you use that and really lock into that opening, because Boy, Ian, you know how many decisions people make about us as speakers real fast. Well, we're going to nail that opening and then glide into the product, which is the easy part. Yeah. In that first, in that first 75 seconds, they either say, this is somebody worth listening to, or I wonder how much battery life I have on my phone right now. I wonder if I can make it through the whole session. Right. And, and we've been there where you're speaking with somebody and – 
it's thankfully not as common as um, as we might think, but we've been there where someone else is speaking. You're thinking, oh, dear God. Right. Like, is this really going to keep going? Right. You know, I used to, in my, my mind, I kind of used to blame the audiences, like, how dare you take out that you know, iPhone or whatever. Uh, but I have learned, and I really believe this, I'm never blaming the audience. Blame me. Yep. If I'm not interesting enough to get that USA Today down or that, uh, that smartphone down, blame me. Yeah. So... What guys like us do is we start taking walks. We work with them. We work with a lavalier mic. We know the tricks of the trade. But now we're up for a little bit longer. Point being is, let's if we're if, if we're going to put two hours in the prep of a presentation, I put an hour into that first minute, couple minutes, and what you put on was really nice. The first seventy-five seconds is going to be that story or that analogy or that quote that I'm going to slide into to get to the U pop. So I don't just go, hello, uh, what are we here? No, no. Uh, you know, a funny <laughs> thing happened in the traffic jam I was in today, and that's the way the pros start, and that's the way everyone should start. Yeah, and, and I think that this is something I want to make sure that people translate this to their meetings with internal employees and with potential prospects, which is, look, if we can't clearly help them understand the utility of what is it we're doing, what's in it for them, if we can't help them see the big picture in the product, if we can't help them understand the process that we're going to go through together, then they start wondering, like you said, well, so am I supposed to take notes? Is Am I going to get the slides afterwards? I mean, it shouldn't be a mystery. So it's funny. I've actually moved to from where it used to be many of my talks had slides and workbooks. Now I don't. So it's no slides. I'm doing a keynote. And I start by saying, look, I want you to stay present in the moment. If you want to take notes, that's great. There's going to be certain places where I'm going to tell you, hey, write this down because it's going to create a roadmap for you. At the end of all this, you're going to send a text or an email, and we're going to send you an infographic that summarizes everything we talked about today. It's going to take us a day or so to get it to you because it's not a pre-canned thing. I'm going to make sure all the key takeaways we have from today are in something that you can pass along to share with your team to execute the things at the end I tell you should be executing. Now, everyone says, oh, okay, so now I can take notes if I want to. I don't, I don't need to because I'm going to get all the takeaways anyhow, and I can share it with my team. Well, I get that, but it's funny because as you were saying, I'm like, oh, thank God that I'm doing this because as you're describing here's what you have to do. I'm like, wouldn't it be funny if I'm totally missing half these? would be like, oh, damn. All right, we'll have to pause the interview so I can go back and rework my keynotes. <laughs> Well, well, you know, it's funny. Um, we have a, a slightly different way we do it, but we have the same intent. I, uh, I am just not a fan of somebody who hands me a picture of their slides. It means nothing to me. I'm sometimes concerned that an audience doesn't know what notes to take. So my handouts, for even for keynotes, are all the same. It's a small picture of the slide with three or four paragraphs of the major points I'm making. Then when I lead the presentation, I say, good news. I took the notes for you, so you can keep your head up, watch me, and I'll make you a deal. If I get to something that I didn't write down for you, or I've written it down and I really want you to underline it, I'll tell you. And I do that. And what it does, just like you, keeps everybody's head up and on you, and that's what we want. It was interesting. I... um for a while, I was doing these these workbooks where it was almost like a Mad Lib, so it was filling the blanks. So here's the key message, but there were three blanks on the page. And you had to fill those out. And I'm like, wow, this way people really get the takeaways. And what I realized is that people were obsessed with, well, did I miss one of the blanks? And they may have been missing 
a part of the content, and they were so obsessed with, I got to get this word. What was the word on page three? And then I would ask them, what's the key takeaway from this section? I don't know, but the blank on page two was this. I'm like, oh, dear God, I'm actually working against them, not for them. So sometimes we overthink this stuff. And we're, we're so intent on making it better for them that we, you know, we can lose that a little bit. Absolutely. And, you know, let's put something on the table right now. Um, the fact of the matter is whether we're in training, whether it's a keynote, whether it's a company just talking to its people at their end of year meeting, the fact of the matter is it's not as much the information as the experience. I hate to break that to everybody. But, we, but at the end of the day, it's really the, the presentation, whether we're going in to sell somebody, whether you're selling your own team, it isn't all the information that you've crammed in. It's people finishing that presentation and going, you know, I, love, I like that CEO. I like that guy in accounting. And I love working here. And I want to do what they just asked me to do. And somebody may go, what are the six principles? I've got no idea what those six but principles are. But if they're bugging the big picture. Right. Right. But I know one thing. I'm going to learn those six principles. And I like the message that was delivered. Because, Ian, you know, we could take the top 50 mistakes a presenter makes. And I don't think 49 of them equal number one, which is too much information which creates a big fat workbook, too many slides, and a, and a group that's looking at their smartphone. So we got to trim that information down. We have to resist the temptation of somebody pulling on our coat string saying, hey, but we also have to include the, the, you know, the, this and that. We, we'll get it, but we're going to nick it. We're going to give them the greatest hour or half day or whatever day imaginable. And we're not going to ruin it by cramming too much information. We do you you remember that from this podcast, and Ian just had his best podcast of the year. <laughs> How do you like that? Boom! We should drop the mic, but it'd be too disruptive for people. <laughs> yeah. So, so what's the what's the best way for people to learn more about you, Rob, and to tap into all the books and resources that you have available? Where should they go? Thank you. Uh, well, you can go to my website, which is just j o l l e s dot com. But on that website, for eight years now, I've been working on something called a Blarticle. Not a blog, not an article. It's a Blarticle, and it's trademarked. Uh, and because uh, blogs are nice, but I feel like, uh, you know, Ian and I had a tuna sandwich, and Ian had more lettuce than me. It's it just not that interesting. Um, and articles can get a little lengthy. I like the delivery of a blog, but I want something in there that, that whiff them from my reader. So I've been, I write Blarticles every other week for eight years uh, there's a way to sign up right on the uh, website. And I'll just tap you on the shoulder every other Friday morning at 7.30 morning saying, here's what it's about. If you like it, fine. If not, I'll see you in two weeks. But I am, I am because the book launch was uh, yesterday, or Sunday. I have been writing a lot about presenting lately. And I will tell you, this Friday's is an interesting one because uh, it is the most misunderstood device that a speaker can use and, and how to do it right. And I'm not telling you what that is. That's awesome. Read it. So, and, and I will tell people, if you have an opportunity to see Rob speak in person, bring him into your organization, um, it's, it's a blast, it's a wild ride, and you'll learn a lot. So, Rob, thanks so much for sharing your wisdom with us. I'd like to say one more thing. No. Nope. I'm good. <laughs> no, nope, you're done. That's it. All right, all right. By the way, he's very good. Thanks, Rob. Pleasure. If you ever have a chance to see Rob speak in person, Take the opportunity. 
I mean, the guy, not only does he have great knowledge, but he's extremely entertaining and engaging. Let me give you a quick 30-second recap of the key things I think you can take away and use right away. And what I really want to focus on is a couple concepts of WIFM and UPOP. So the WIFM is what's in it for me. You always want to think from your audience's perspective on what's in it for them. And then the UPOP, remember, we want to make sure that we're focusing on the utility, which is that WIFM, the product, which is the big picture. The second P is process, how we're going to talk about it. Then our objective in terms of what to expect from the audience and then the proof of your ability to deliver that maybe by showing results you've delivered elsewhere. And if you do that, whether you're speaking to an audience of one or 1,000, your message is going to be sharply delivered. Remember, this show gets its direction from you, the listener. If there's a topic you think I should cover, if there's a guest you think I should have on the show, just drop me a note at ian at ianaltman.com. Have an amazing week, add value, and grow revenue in a way everybody can embrace, even your customer. <laughs>